Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. I am so glad you're here today. You know, we spoke a few weeks ago as the year started. It's hard to believe that it's already the end of January. And we agreed that you were going to be here week after week, making the commitment to show up for yourself. So I'm so thrilled you're here. It really makes me so happy that we can spend this time together and learn together and grow together. So I guarantee it's going to be what makes 2021 an epic year for you. Just staying committed to yourself, taking one step at a time each week, week after week, that is the follow through and the consistency and the momentum that you need for this year. So speaking of women that are getting this year started off right, we just welcomed 11 new members into our Women Leading Powerfully Leadership Lab. It starts on Monday. They are all ready and set to go. Thrilled for them to meet each other and super excited for this cohort. So if you are interested in being in a community of women and kickstarting your career or transitioning your career or just looking for the next step in your life, and you're really unsure of how to do that, get inside the Leadership Lab. It is an amazing experience. The testimonials on our website speak for themselves at go to www.womenleadingpowerfully.com and check it out. Our next cohort is starting on March 4th. You are not going to want to miss it. We already are taking signups. And like I said, we limit it to a very intimate group between 10 to 12 women. So get in, apply now, give us a call. Um, We're here to schedule coaching sessions to find out if it's a good fit for you, but would love to have you in the March group. So don't miss out. Let's make 2021 your epic year. Speaking of epic, I cannot wait to introduce you to my guest today, Dawn Wilcox, who is doing epic work for Children's Hospital LA. I can't wait for Dawn to share with you her story, her personal story, and her personal values, and how they have led her and guided her on her career path throughout her entire career, including where she's at now. Dawn is having such an impact, and she's doing such phenomenal work in the city of LA for CHLA. I can't wait for Dawn to share her story with you as to the impact of her work, but also her leadership journey. And you'll hear from Dawn a piece of feedback that she received this year that was really vital in helping her up-level her leadership. And it might be something surprising to you, And I also know that it's something most women aren't paying attention to. So let's dive into my conversation with my friend and a woman who is definitely leading powerfully, Dawn Wilcox. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in.
Dawn, I am so glad you're here with me today. I've been looking forward to this interview and thank you for taking the time to uh, to be with me. Thank you for having me on. I have really enjoyed listening to your episodes and I'm thrilled and honored that you have had me to come on the episode. Thanks, Dawn. I appreciate it. So I would love for you just to get started by um, just sharing a little bit about, you know, your story, how you got started in your career and uh, what you do. Well, you know, I think I have to start a little bit at the beginning, but I'll go through the beginning part kind of quickly. Um, you know, I was born and raised in Northern California and was raised in a very small town with very conservative values and a very um, conservative family, which um, was a challenge for me at times. But I think that the biggest thing that I have learned from that was the foundation that led me to where I am today. So, you know, I spent two years at a Bible college. Um, that was a requirement of my parents to study theology for a couple of years. And during that time, I started to think about the transition of what, you know, studying theology to a potential career could look like. And I loved English, writing, teaching, and I loved journalism. It was just this kind of really hodgepodge, you know, and when I think back now, I think, well, the commonality between it all was words. I love the power and potential of using words and written language and narrative and story to have an impact. And so if you think of my upbringing and the very community service focused uh, life that I, I, I had and experienced and observed from my parents to what I was being taught in college, um, I started to think about what that could mean for a career. And so I ended up transferring to Chico State uh, with a focus on journalism and English minor and a public relations option. So um, I was a radio DJ for a while. I worked as a television intern for a minute. I wrote for the school paper. I explored that whole world and I loved it. I loved the media world. Then I got a, um, a chance to think about public relations as a potential career and the idea that I could be a part of the influence of people's behaviors and decisions um, on the other side of it, and the other side of the media mm -hmm. coin, was very appealing to me. And so I, that's really kind of the world I've been in now for almost 26 years. I spent 18 years at an agency, two different agencies. About half of that was working with government agencies, foundations, nonprofits, helping them um, identify the most appropriate audiences for their messages, working on public health campaigns like traffic safety and teen pregnancy prevention and child abuse prevention. And then I started working with corporations on their philanthropic platforms and what, you know, they could stand for as a company and the impact they could have in their community on their customers and employees from a philanthropic standpoint. And so you know, it's not sometimes there's this like moment in time where you realize every decision and every step and every moment has led me to this place. And I really think that when I look back at the my upbringing, where and how I grew up, those years at Bible college, transferring to a very liberal university at Chico State, and then diving headfirst into public relations and marketing um, led me to this moment which is where I am now, which is I've spent the last seven years at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And I have the chance there to work with companies, to work with individuals and organizations, 
to raise money and awareness for the programs and services and the children we treat at Children's Hospital. So it's just, it's one of those things where you look back and you think, huh, I guess that, you know, I did take sometimes a little bit of a windy path, but not really, Mm -hmm. you know, it was decisions and choices and experiences and opportunities that got me to here. Yeah. So first of all, I love your story um, because you and I have known each other for a while now, probably, I want to say almost 13 years, which is crazy in itself. And, um, and I never knew that you went to Bible college. And so I love that you're sharing that with me. But what I love is the through line. Like you said, you know, there kind of might have been a bit of a windy path here and there. But the through line that I hear is definitely around influencing for impact and, and, you know, being of service. And so that is definitely, you know, so when you talk, when you think about what your core values are, what would you describe as some of your key core values? Well, I've for many years have held to the, you know, when someone asks a question like, what is your purpose in life? Or what do you believe is your purpose here on this earth? Uh, I mean, I think as far as I can remember back, I've thought of my purpose as being here to make life better for at least one other person. That even when I've had my own challenges and even when my parents, especially, you know, they're, you know, they have lived through a lot of challenges, but their focus has always been in this in service of others. That if they are down to their last dollar, they will give that dollar to someone else who needs it more. And so, you know, that's just, that's fed my philosophy and that's the philosophy I live by today. And, you know, now I get the chance to actually see it. Um, in person. And that was a big part of my decision to go to Children's Hospital after all those agency years was I am up close and personal to the impact of all the effort, of the effort, of the money, of the hours of, you know, whatever it is that I'm asking other people to do and contribute towards, I get to see it now. I get to see the kids, the families, talk to the doctors and nurses. And that's, um, it's been, it's been a really powerful time. Yeah. So for those of my listeners that might not know about the work at Children's Hospital and what Children's Hospital does, um, first of all, you know, I just wanted to really formally introduce you. You are the vice president of corporate partnerships at Children's Hospital LA. And so can you talk a little bit, like I said, for those that aren't familiar with it, about the work that Children's Hospital does and, and what you're specifically impacting? So we see about half a million patient visits every single year. So there's a good chance that someone you know or meet, you know, has had a personal story connected to Children's Hospital Los Angeles. We've been around for over 100 years and and have a a big footprint in the community. One of the things that makes us unique is that, you know, we're, we're the top hospital on the West Coast. We're in the top 10 nationally, but we're the only hospital in the top 10 that is also a safety net. So what that means is that the vast majority of patients we treat have no insurance or on government sponsored insurance. So it's about 70, 72%. Um, so philanthropy is a big part of the mission of the hospital and of being able to um, meet the needs of all the children that need our help and services. So, you know, we treat everything at Children's Hospital Los Angeles um, from broken bones to kidney and, you know, organ transplants to heart surgeries to cancer, um, everything in between. And, you know, it's been 
just throughout this pandemic, you know, to see the doctors and nurses and clinical workers and administrative support and everyone just show up to work every day, committed to continuing to provide the best care possible to our patients and families, even in the midst of some of the most challenging times has, you know, been a gift and a blessing. Yeah. And so, you know, you've been doing this work for a long time, obviously, from an agency perspective, and then really stepping into the front lines of, you know, being there on the front line, doing the the work that you're doing. And you've been doing it for a long time. I also know that you have an 11 year old daughter, Kaya. And so, you know, talk to me about the impact of this work now that you're a mom and how that mm. and how that might have shifted for you, especially coming over to uh, Children's Hospital LA. You know, it, it was a part of my decision. Uh, she was four when I started working at the hospital and um, I loved my agency job. You know, I was running a, a regional office. I was just taking on a global practice group. I was traveling all the time but I was traveling all the time and I was gone and I was FaceTiming my two and three-year-old from a hotel room Mm -hmm. on a regular basis. And I just was starting to feel the, um, the impact of that on her and on me. And so when the opportunity came up, it was a very appealing one to be a little more grounded and be a lot more local, but also to work on something that was very close to me. I mean, you can't walk, step one foot into Children's Hospital Los Angeles and not be, you know, impacted by the kids and the families there. And so there was certainly a personal, very personal reason. What was interesting, though, when I started working there was how hard it was for me to allow myself to emotionally connect to anything because I was so everything, you know, you'd see a child and it would remind me of mine or, you know, I'd hear a child cry and it would make my heart stop. And so it took me a while, it took me a couple of years, truly, to be able to walk the floors of the hospital and build relationships with families and not constantly kind of feel that emotional weight of all that they were going through. And to know that they're in the best possible place for care for their child. And that I, in some small way, am contributing to making their stay at the hospital better Um, to helping to find donors to support the services and programs like pet therapy, you know, having a dog come and visit a child while they're in the hospital and that we go out and raise money for that or the program that brings volunteers around to read books to the kids or play games, you know. So I started to be able to create a, a place and an understanding for my own emotions around all of it. You know, I've been through some some health diagnoses with my daughter throughout this time. And I've never been more grateful to work where I work Mm -hmm. throughout all that. And you come to appreciate personally and professionally the opportunities for access to services that, um, you know, I didn't even know existed before I started working there. So there's definitely a lot that is more personal because I have a daughter and, and because of the people I've gotten to know the families and, you know, the, every people that work there, um, everyone is there and standing behind the common mission that we have to create hope and build healthier futures for all children. So that, you know, that and my daughter could finally articulate what I do. I think before she had a hard time kind of understanding she was four, but, you know, like agency, clients, travel. And now, you know, if someone asks, what does your mom do? You know, she raises money for sick kids. 
So it's like, it's pretty clear. Yeah. Um, And what a great, what a great role model, you know, to role model the values that were instilled in you as a young girl. And now you're really paying that forward to your daughter as well. So Don, you know, it's so powerful. And and I love you talk about, you know, you being a mom and that emotional connection to the work that you're doing on a daily basis. Can you share with my audience some of maybe some of the powerful stories that you that you've seen firsthand in your work at CHLA? Over the last seven years, I would say I've gotten to know, I mean, at least a dozen families, you know, certainly you hear stories of others, but there are definitely families who I've been able to spend time with because they're, you know, so open about their stories and their child's situation at the hospital. There was um, a family that I got to know, a little girl who was diagnosed with cancer um, at a very young age. She was four when she was diagnosed and she spent about a year at the hospital through chemotherapy and treatment. It was a very intensive time and her parents were there the whole time. And as she came out of treatment and as she started to improve and get better, you know, we had approached the family about their willingness to share their story. And they were so wonderful and lovely and wanting to share and grateful to the doctors that saved their daughter's life. And so, you know, we we were able to tell this family's story in some different television commercials and um, I had invited them to, we were doing some, a partnership with uh, one of the NBA teams in town. And I invited them to a game with us to where she, the daughter was the special guest of the night. And my daughter was there too. And, you know, to, to have that experience for the family and for, you know, was just so special for their story to be highlighted, talked about, and for their daughter to get a chance to be celebrated And then for my daughter to be able to watch all that and to ask me questions afterwards about, you know, why she had no hair, um, what had happened to her and to be able to talk through and explain that um, was an incredible moment. And, you know, there's, there's so many, there's families, there's another young woman who um, had two organ transplants um, and she has been such a great spokesperson for us. She does our make much matter campaign every year and she gets up there and she is like 12 now and short, but really small. So she'll get up on the riser and just like shout at everybody. Hello, my people. And she is awesome. Then then there's this little three-year-old boy that I got to know who had a heart transplant. And he is just a fireball of energy. And, you know, it's just, there are just so many stories like that of grateful parents, grateful families, the resiliency of these kids to go through what they have gone through and come out the other side, smiling and laughing and being a kid. That's, that's what makes it all worth it. Yeah. I mean, as you were talking, I was thinking exactly the same thing. I mean, the resiliency of kids is just phenomenal. I don't know where sometimes we lose that as adults Mm -hmm. because I, I mean, I think we have so much to learn from them. So we do. And you know, you brought up March Matters. And so I really want to talk about that because I know that you specifically and your team have been instrumental in making that a huge event every year. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that? So we are going on six years now of Make March Matter, and we created it as a way for businesses to unite during one month of the year to raise money and awareness for Children's Hospital LA. And you know, it wasn't a new concept. There's lots of organizations and causes that have 
created similar models for their own issue and brand. But, you know, it was the first time it had been done at Children's Hospital LA and for Children's Hospitals. And so over the years, um, going into year five, which of course, you know, was COVID year, um, (laughs) we had raised 7 million in the first four years of Make March Matter, working with local businesses. And I, you know, to me, the, the thing that's most powerful about this is that, yes, we had some partners that were big companies that were able to raise a few hundred thousand dollars, but we had so many smaller businesses in town that just dedicated the month, whether it be a percentage of their sales or asking customers to donate and would so proudly mail in their check for $500 or a thousand dollars, or, you know, that is it. And every single one of those donations added up to the millions of dollars that we raised every year. And so for me, the joy of that campaign really is seeing businesses of all sizes be able to participate in a way that's meaningful to them and to their employees and customers. So going into 2020, we were so, we were on top of the world. This is year five. We're going to yeah. be year five anniversary. You know, March 1st, we did March 1st, 2020. We did this huge kickoff event. We had managed to get back every single child patient ambassador of the campaign over the previous years into one location at the same time they were all there healthy happy smiling with celebrities media like the whole thing was this huge thing and it was such a great day and over the course of that week you know more news was coming out as we all know and we were still doing we our last event was March 12th we had managed we were doing events almost every day we were doing television interviews I was on radio and TV every other day for the first few days, it was, it was going to be the best, best campaign year ever. Mm -hmm. And then March 13th is when we, uh, we had to pull the plug and officially cancel it as you know, then we all went into the first of many lockdowns quarantine time, but we still managed to raise a million dollars in those first 13 days. And many of our partners stayed with us through COVID And if they were a restaurant or somehow connected to food or grocery store, you know, they were donating boxes of produce, meals for our frontline workers. Um, You know, it was just amazing to watch everyone, you know, pivot, I guess is a word we've used. We've probably all used in business the last year. I mean, we've pivoted so many times. We're just spinning in circles at this point. (laughs) I think it's true. I think the two, I think. I think the three most used words for 2020 are pivot, uh, surreal, and you're still on mute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, uh, so we did it, you know, That's we did amazing. and people stood with us and still donated and did everything they could and companies, you know, that previously made clothing were making masks, you know, and it was just, when I think back now, I mean, we actually did, I did this with my team right before the end of the year, we did a look back at all our successes in spite of, and there were a lot, you know, we had a lot to be proud of. And it was hard because fundraisers rely on three big things to raise money, meeting in person with donors, right? (laughs) Special events, And taking people on tours of the hospital and all three of those things were gone. So no longer could we do any of the key things that helped us raise money 
and or attach a partner to the hospital. So, you know, I, I, to me, my team was just the most awesome team to, to still raise money with all the tools in our tool bag being taken away from us, <laughs> you know, figure it out. And we did it. Yeah. So. so, so talk a little bit about that. I mean, I think it's amazing because I, I, I thought about you specifically this year because every year in March, you know, mm. you're posting so much on social media, you know, you're with all the top celebrities, you're at all these events, you're in amazing outfits. And I'm like, oh, she's living my dream life. But by the end of March, I'm like, I am exhausted for you. Because you were literally at a different business or an organization or an event every single day, I think sometimes multiple times a day. And I know you and your team put in so much work for that for that month. Um, not only throughout the year, but specifically in that month, I know it's really crunch time for you guys. But so talk to me about specifically, what do you think made you guys successful? And you know, in this time of COVID to really overcome, like you said, the three pillars of, of philanthropic work, what do you think was the specific thing that made you guys successful? I think probably the number one thing is how we manage relationships. You know, the fact that we have worked so hard to maintain relationships pre-COVID paid off for us in COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, We built, we had built trust and, you know, when we had to turn things into virtual events or all of a sudden do, you know, that check presentation via zoom or, you know, we do these huge kickoffs every year with our Costco partner, where we go and speak to all the warehouse managers. We had to do that online for the first time in ever, you know, and the fact that they trusted us enough that we could still do that. We could still motivate all their store managers, their warehouse managers and their employees to still fundraise in this challenging time says to me that that's, that's because there's trust and respect in the relationships and the brand, you know, we're lucky that we are a brand that is long, well-known and respected in the community. So if I call a business I've never talked to before and say that I'm with Children's Hospital Los Angeles, they immediately know mm-hmm. who we are. And that helped. So when we were talking to new businesses, you know, when we first, the first pivot, once we had to shut down Make Merch Matter, the first pivot was PPE. You know, we, uh, everyone, right, was, when you think back to that time, everyone was scrambling, especially hospitals, because they didn't have enough PPE in stock. And no one knew how long this was going to last. So I, we took the whole team and we just started calling all the businesses we could think of that might have masks, um, sanitizer, glove, anything. Um, And we were, I mean, I had people calling like auto body shops, tattoo parlors, car dealers. You know, it was just, it was amazing to see it. When I look back now and we kept spreadsheets of everything and sometimes I'll go back and look at it all. I just think, wow, you know, millions of dollars worth of donations during all of that because the team is committed to the cause because we have a brand that people know and recognize and because we have built strong relationships over the years. Yeah. And I, I love what you're saying also and what you're sharing because, you know, I think there's so much in the media about the negative aspects of COVID, right? And and obviously, it's real. I mean, people are dying, and it's horrific what's happening. But I think there are so many beautiful moments 
that have come out of COVID, the fact that restaurants are still donating to the cause when they're struggling, the fact that, you know, like you said, all these little donations from an auto body shop or from that individual who's sending in a check for $20. I think it really goes to the point that every little thing, everything we do matters. And it all adds up. And that cumulative effect of that, you know, is really helping so many children and making such a big difference. Because I think so often, you know, just from an outside perspective, I think sometimes the feeling is like, well, is my $20 really going to matter? And what I really hear you saying is, yeah, there's large corporations making big donations, but all those little ones really add up and they make a substantial difference. They really do. And that's, you know, our median size donation is, um, it's, I believe it's between 35 and $40. So if we raised $140 million last year, that's a lot of $25, $30, and $45 donations, right? You know, I mean, there's some few big ones, but there's a lot of those smaller ones that add up. There's some people that set up, you know, $10 a month, like an auto donation through payroll or through the website. And um, I, you know, I think it's, yes, it adds up. And there's no better time to do something for someone else than when you're feeling overwhelmed and frustrated and down. And I don't know that we've, you know, the last 10 months, we've all felt that at some point. Mm -hmm. And so if I can be a catalyst to converting that feeling or that challenge you're going through. Um, and in my particular case, because I work mostly with businesses, you know, if I can work with you business to help in some way and to help, you know, bolster your employees morale and do something good. You know, I worked with a large company that couldn't make a donation of cash, but they wanted to do something. So they got their, they shipped to their employees, like homes, all the elements of activity kits. For kids at the hospital. And then at home, they put together their activity kits, they shipped them back. And then I worked with this woman on the donation, she showed up with crates and crates of these amazing kits that our child life team can give to kids at the bedside with crayons and stickers and coloring books. And, you know, I, I told her like, this is, I mean, this is a huge donation, you know, don't think that just because you can't give cash that there aren't ways that you can contribute that you can make yourself feel good, that your employees can feel like they're part of something bigger. So, you know, that was just one thing that we helped our, our partners do this year was to think about all the ways they could help. I love that. And so obviously it goes without saying, if you're inspired listening to this and you're, and you're hearing Dawn share, Dawn, share with us, you know, how can my listeners um, contribute and make a difference? I would encourage them to go to chla.org. Um, and if they want to get in touch with my team directly, you can go to the corporate partnerships page. And there's a email that is corporate partnerships at chla.usc.edu. And my whole team, including me, we're on that email. We get those and we get a lot of them, you know, just people reaching out saying they wanted to help or do something or they have a question. Um, and so I encourage people to to check that out. There's there's a ways to help right there on the on the front page of the site. And you know, I say one thing that we really could use now, and I'd say probably over the next few months, especially, are donations of blood. You know, there are people who are like, I can't, I don't have any money to give. I don't have any item I can sew or make. Um, maybe you are able to donate blood. So I would encourage your listeners to look for that on our site too and make an appointment because we need that. 
Perfect. I love that. So there's no, I mean, it, the reality is there's no possible way that you would have still been able to collect millions this year without your leadership. So I really want to kind of shift the conversation and talk about your leadership and your leadership journey um, throughout your career. So, you know, what is some leadership advice? You know, you're a VP, you know, of CHLA. What are some leadership advice that you have for women? And, you know, maybe if you could talk about your leadership journey a little bit um, and just some of the things you've learned along the way. Oh, there's, you know, <laughs> been a lot of lessons learned. I, you know, I think back to my first boss in, in my professional career. Um, her name is Christy. And she, the, the biggest gift that she gave to me was trust. Uh, she trusted me to figure some of things out on my own, um, to just go take a chance and try something if I came up with an idea. Um, and she also, she also pushed me. I'll never forget. Now, this will tell you how long I've been in this business, but I used to, my desk was near the fax machine. So <laughs> when faxes came in, I would be responsible for pulling them off the fax machine and getting them to the person that it was written for. She encouraged me to read her faxes. Mm. Um, she said, you know, she wanted me to absorb as much information as possible. She also encouraged me when she would print documents out to take the initiative and proof it. And if I saw a mistake to fix it. Um, and so I really, I, when I think back now, I think what a foundation she laid for me. She showed me that she trusted and respected me, even though I was so young and so green and half the time did not even know what I was doing and, and, and simultaneously pushed and encouraged me. And so I think that fed into my leadership style a lot. I, I tend to be a very hands-off leader. I like people to explore and create and have some freedom around their idea or what they want to achieve. But then I also want them to know, look, I'm here. I'm here and available and reach out anytime. And I think my team takes me up on that. You know, they especially in COVID times, right? We, you know, text call, whatever you got to do to get, you know, an answer for something. But um, I love seeing people succeed and I love shining the spotlight on them for that success. And the other thing too, that I, I don't often see, and I, I experienced this in the agency world, maybe more, but, you know, there was this kind of, um, mentality, like if someone wanted to leave and go work somewhere else, it was taken very personally, you know, mm -hmm. like, oh, I can't believe they'd want to leave our agency and go work for someone else. And I always had a hard time with that because I thought, no, I'm here to support your professional development. And if your professional development encourages, you know, includes you taking a different career path or needing to go explore something else, I want to support you in doing that and just know that I will write that letter of recommendation and I'll be here as a sounding board. The other thing I will say, and this is honestly about 90% of how I got the job at Children's Hospital, was I, I had another boss that said, you should always say yes to every request for an informational interview. And so I've made that a practice of my career is to say yes to every single request that I get, <laughs> even at times, you know, where I feel like it's a lot. But, you know, I'll take the 20 minutes or whatever someone's, you know, just to have an informational conversation with someone. So I had an informational meeting with a woman years ago 
I mean, 10 years ago. And two years after the meeting, I got a call from Children's Hospital. And the person who was calling said that they were recruiting for this vice president of corporate partnerships position and that and she named the person had referred me. And I was like, I have no idea who that person is. I had to go How back funny. to my files and my emails. And then I realized, oh, I met with her two years ago for an informational interview. Yeah. She had remembered that conversation and gave my name to this woman. So needless to say, fast forward, when I got the job, I sent her flowers, of course, thanking her for remembering me. But it just, it was such a good reminder of, you know, giving people time and respect and um, relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I experienced in my coaching practice, and I also experienced um, in my career as a leader as well, and I'm curious to get your take on it, because I think you and I manage very similarly is, you know, empowering your people, giving them trust, giving them room to to grow and to learn and to fail forward sometimes. What do you do when you're managing in that leadership style and you have someone that isn't meeting expectations? That is tough. And I've certainly had it. Um, it you know, I'm all for clarity and being upfront, I don't like people being surprised. And I don't, I don't like to be surprised by feedback either, right? You know, there's nothing worse than going along doing your job. And then all of a sudden, your annual review, you get all of this feedback. And you're like, wow, wasn't expecting that, right? (laughs) No idea that you thought that I was doing that, or you you know, why didn't you give me this feedback sooner? So I do try to get to people as it's happening, or, you know, And I do try to also start, you know, I I think the time period we're currently in is a little bit unique. So given the situation we're in, and that I know so much about people's personal situations, because we're all, you know, zooming in each other's lives, um, I take that into consideration. And sometimes I'll even lead with that and just say, you know, hey, I'm checking in, it seems like, you know, you're having a, maybe some challenges at home or, you know, with childcare or taking care of your elderly parents or, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. I know is happening personally, I want to acknowledge that up front because I don't want to leave, put the person in the position of saying, gee, I'm sorry, I missed that deadline. You know, I've been having to take care of my father for the last two weeks or whatever it is that they're dealing with. So I try to get anything that might be happening personally kind of out there first and let them know I'm here to support them. And then I'll, I'll bring up the situation that, you know, Hey, I needed that document, that item or whatever. I needed it by this date and you didn't come through for me. I'd like to understand how that happened. Um, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt, you know, up sure. first mm-hmm. um, and give them the chance to kind of talk it through. But I will say that I, I, you know, there have been situations in my career where I've had to formally write things out and document them in letters that go in files and address things um, very clearly that we have a situation that, you know, this is an issue and I need it fixed in the next 30 days or we're going to have to kind of go to the next step. So, yeah, I mean, I've in my career, certainly I've had to let people go because of finances. I've had to fire people because of um, behavior, you know, right. and, and I've had to 
meet with people and address real challenges in their job performance. So um, there's always so much more improvement, though, to be done on that. You know, I feel like every time I read, you know, a coaching book or a mentoring book, I learn something new, like, oh, I should be asking that question instead, <laughs> or listen more, I need to stop talking, I need to, you know, uh, it's, a, it's an evolving process, right? I don't think yeah. we can ever perfect it. We're always learning. Well, and you bring up such a great point, you know, so um, first of all, I love that as a leader, you're taking the initiative to to read and to learn and to continue to grow as a leader yourself. I think you bring up an important point of, you know, selfishly, uh, you know, I'm going to self promote here, why a coach is so important, why having a coach, you know, in your career is so important, because inevitably, we all have blind spots that we're not aware of, that no matter how many books you read, isn't going to give you that perspective. And so, you know, I ask you kind of an open question. Have there been any blind spots for you that you've encountered along the way that you want to share? Yes. And, you know, it's, it's hard. I think I don't know if it's um, a gender thing or a personality thing or, you know, but I, you know, I think I, I will speak for me. I take things very personally. I take feedback very personally. And so I've had to learn how to take it a little less personally. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't ever want to get so comfortable that I'm not open to hearing how I can improve. And I've been part of, ooh, it's been almost, it's been about a year and a half now since I was chosen for a leadership program at Children's Hospital called Velocity. It's something that our CEO created, and I'm part of the first cohort ever. Um, there are nine of us in the cohort that were chosen across the organization to be part of this leadership accelerator. And the first step in it was being evaluated, uh, a full 360 evaluation. So leaders, team members, direct reports, peers. Um, and it was hard to read that report. Mm. Because I, of course, went to the pages, you know, the weaknesses <laughs> pages, the blind spot pages, like I left the strengths kind of to, to the side. And um, I was also assigned a coach for the first year. And the coach's first meeting with me was to review the 360. So now sure. I'm feeling, oh, great, this guy is just getting to know me and he's reading all the things that I need to improve on. But definitely, I mean, one of my biggest blind spots was my relationship with my peers in the organization. I was spending so much time managing my team, who I love and will do anything for, and my donors, my partners. Um, those were really where my eyes were focused. And I wasn't taking the time I needed to build the relationships with the peers, who, by the way, I needed in my work, you know, there's things that don't get done at the hospital without the support of, I don't know, the legal team, or the contracts team, or the IS team, or right. the marketing team. And I was letting those relationships go, and wasn't spending time focusing on being a good partner to them. I was kind of just working with them as like, almost as if they were outside vendors. And so it was, it was hard for me to hear that kind of harsh critique. And, but after, you know, it took me about a week of sitting on it and <laughs> absorbing it and getting past kind of the emotional reaction sure. to it sure. to kind of put a plan in motion and to say, all right, I, I hear what they're saying and I do need to improve um, on that. I do need to take other people's 
roles and work and responsibilities into consideration when I make requests or when I expect something to get done. Cause I, you know, I'm an agency person. I'm like, let's just get it done. Right. Like, I don't understand why there's any barriers. Let's just barrel through them and get it all done. And, um, not being very sensitive to people. So I've spent a lot more time reaching out, connecting with, engaging with. Um, and the whole time it reminded me too of a boss that I had in my pre in a previous agency job who actually graded me down on a performance review because he said I didn't reach out to him enough just to check in and say, hey, what's up? <laughs> and he listed like the seven guys that did that on a regular basis. Yeah. Like, oh my God, well, I'm not doing that because I don't want to waste your time. <laughs> like I'm just right. over here doing the work. I know. And Don, you're bringing up such important points. And, you know, I think as, I see this with so many of my female clients. I know it was my experience as well, which is why I'm so passionate about coaching about this topic, which is, you know, as women, we just think, we literally think that if we put our heads down, we're advocates for our teams. Like we're the mama bear, right? We're going to mm -hmm. advocate for our teams. We put our heads down. We do our jobs. That should be enough to elevate us, to get us what we need, to have our leaders, the organization recognize our efforts, our team's efforts. And it's just so interesting because, you know, what you said about your boss of like, that was me too in my old corporate role. Like, I rarely had check-ins because I didn't, you know, I was just doing what I was supposed to be doing. But men are really good at it. You know, the old boys network is there for a reason. I mean, it works. <laughs> it They'll go out after work and have a beer and, and they think like everything's great. And I'm like, yes, but that guy hasn't turned in a report on time in a year. <laughs> I'm over here cranking out reports left and right, you know, but yet he's getting promoted. Yes. I, you know, and I, it was a hard lesson to learn when we think about being advocates for ourselves, I know that's, a, that's something you're a big mm -hmm. proponent of Yep, is, you know, there's some things we take for granted and we have got to, you know, get in and strengthen those relationships and be visible yep. and be advocates. It's not enough yeah. to just get it and do the work, get it done. You know, no, I agree. <laughs> like we're so good at doing. <laughs> I agree. And, you know, for the women that are leaders, you know, kind of the way I nuance it so they feel more comfortable with it is that if you're not advocating for yourself, you're actually not advocating for your team. And, you know, that that sets in a little bit of a different message where it's like, oh, I need to be doing this because if I'm not doing it, my team is suffering. And and that's, you know, that is the reality. And so, um, I, so thank you for sharing. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for, um, you know, because I, it's such an important, it's such an important thing for women to really master is advocating for themselves, speaking up and building that organizational agility along the way. Perfect. So I, you know, I think we're, as we kind of round out, what is something that people don't know about you that you wish they did know? Mm. Well, you know, I am, for work, I need to be very extroverted and very, you know, outgoing and chatty and all of that. But it is actually really hard for me to do that. I am definitely an inward, quiet person. And, you know, I love nothing more than a, as silly as it sounds, like curling up with a book, you know, like I just, I need that kind of, I need that time in order to be that externally facing person. Um, 
I, the fuel that fires me is taking the step back and being totally quiet and not interacting and engaging because so much of my job requires it. So I, yeah. Don, I have so enjoyed our time together today. You know what I would love to kind of tie a bow on our interview with asking you, you know, what is your personal passion? What are your personal dreams for the next, you know, maybe five or 10 years? One of the best parts of my job is creating a match between a business, a company, and Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And one of that is that is what drives me. I mean, this idea that you can find the right fit for you, for your company in terms of the cause you want to support. And so as much as I'm focused on Children's Hospital Los Angeles right now, you know, as I think to the future, I would love to evolve that into working more with individuals. And my particular passion would be working with women business owners to create their philanthropic legacy. What is it that they want to be known for philanthropically? Like what impact did they have on the community, on a cause that matters to them, on a charity that's important to them? And how do they do that? You know, that's that's eventually where I want to be. I don't think that my time at CHLA is quite over yet. And I, I hope to continue <laughs> to raise a lot of money and bring a lot of partners to the hospital. But yes, eventually I want to, I just, I want to help this broader universe, particularly of women and women business owners to, as you say so eloquently, find their why, find their why in business, and then find it from an impact perspective. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about is so powerful and so needed. And because what I see with high achieving women so often in my coaching practice is they've climbed the corporate ladder, they have the job, they have the money, they have all the things, they've checked all the boxes, but there still is that piece of them that is unfulfilled. And what you're talking about, I think, is such a great way to fill that bucket and to really fill that is being in service of others. So I completely support that effort. And I would love to have you back on to talk about, you know, to give women some ideas on how they can find not, you know, we we talk about, I talk about how they can find their career why, but I think it would be really valuable if you're up for it to come back and talk about, you know, how women can find their philanthropic why, what, what is their service why, what is their legacy and what is their impact? Because it's so much more than a career. We don't at the end of our lives, you know, say, I wish I would have spent more days at the office, you know, unless they're in a job like you where you are making a direct <laughs> impact, you know, but most people don't have those types of jobs where they're making such a direct impact. So I would love to have you back on for another show and we'll talk about how people can find that for themselves. I would love to come back. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Don. Have a great day. Thanks for being here. You too. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now.